You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. on RSV, but you like the ESV, so I picked the ESV. I feel like we're doing a bit, but... It's not <laughs> it's a very a... good one. <laughs> All right. So, Revelation 7, if you want to read, he's, he's going to read it to us. Too. And I happen to think that Dorcas is a beautiful name. <laughs> You're um, last week, Jamin read a long passage before his sermon, and so I said afterward, hey... If you're going to do a long passage again next time you preach, let me know. I'd be happy to read scripture before you preach. If nothing else, it saves him a few words. Maybe lets his voice last, uh, you know, before, almost to the end of the sermon. Um, but, but I also said uh, I'd be happy to coordinate, you know, anytime you want scripture read. If there's anyone else that would enjoy reading scripture when he has a long passage like this, let me know afterwards. I'm happy to kind of keep a list and uh, maybe delegate or have a couple people at a time just read scripture together uh, in the service. I think I told you that, so I hope it's okay. I just uh, made that announcement. So, Revelation 7. After I saw this, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels. Who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thanks, Robert. So Revelation 7, there's plenty we could hit on in there, but I'm trying to hone in on the end of that. Now, last week was hard. It was the four horsemen, and it wasn't God bringing violence on us. It was just God letting go of restrictions on violent beings to let them bring the full force of, of everything that they represented onto the earth. And uh, this is like turning earth over to chaos so that it gets as bad as it is so there's no hope anymore so that God can say, okay, there's clearly nothing left here to save. It's time to step in and bring the final judgment. Because God is so hopeful He waits until the end. Now, in today's passage, this is immediately following the four horsemen. It's God doing that moment, that stepping in, seeing that the fullness of all of this pain has come. And before the ultimate ending comes, before some of these angels bring uh, this this kind of, uh, well, the angels are holding back wind. So they're actually restricting again something that's supposed to happen. They're holding it back. And so the earth falls into all its chaos naturally. They're, they're waiting because God says, wait, hang on, before, before all this happens, before we let all chaos go and hit the reset button and start over with this new Eden, with my presence, before we do all that, make sure all the Christians are sealed. We're going to have this mighty nation, not just one kind of people, not just Americans, not just any particular race of America, but people from everywhere, from every tribe and nation, this culturally diverse body of Christ in which all these people have left all their false gods behind, left everything back there, and raced to the throne of God to worship Him. And Revelation pauses before that seventh trumpet is blown of of this kind of ultimate judgment, Make sure that the Christians are sealed, safe, and ready for this moment. So, with that being said, I, I want to really hone in on, on this ending here, where you see the beauty of, of, the, uh, of what Revelation is ultimately trying to paint for you, this beauty of God coming for His people. When you are praying, God, why does all this bad stuff happen? God's saying, like, I have an answer for that. It is coming eventually. Be patient. Wait a little longer. He's not oblivious to the situations that haunt you, to the darkness that is out there pestering you. He's aware, and he's coming to make all things right. And at the end of this passage, you get this beautiful picture. It's not even a parable in which there's this father who, who has this prodigal son. Like, that's a great picture, but, you know, Jesus tells it in, like, a parable. God is like this. This picture is not a parable. This picture is God himself pictured as the father that Jesus has always told us he is getting down on his knees, putting his hands on your cheeks, using his thumbs to wipe away the tears from your eyes so that you hunger no more. Just a moment. You'll need to unlock your iPad first. Neither shall you thirst anymore. (laughs) Be gone, demon. Uh, (laughs) uh, You hunger no more. Neither shall you thirst anymore. For God so wipe away. That's what I hear. Every tear from your eye. Kirk Franklin, anybody? No? Get ready for a revolution. None of you. Okay, fine. You're not old enough. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Okay, forget it. 
Thank you. All right, thank you. Where are you? You're leaving me hanging here. I look like a crazy person. But here's God. Sarah, stop nodding so enthusiastically. Here's God coming for the fullness of, of answering that question. God, where are you? I'm right here, child. Come to me. I'm right here wiping the tears from your eye. This is the ultimate picture of Revelation. The God that is on the throne is not one out to just destroy everything, but one who is out for justice and judgment, sure, but for the redemption and the love and the salvation of all humankind that will flock to him, that will come to him, that will accept him and join his family. He's patient for us. He's loving us. And that right there is a picture that for my whole life I have struggled to fully embody. Don't get me wrong. I can embody this message for everybody else. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. I don't care what kind of crap you've done. God loves you so much. He has never loved you more than this moment right now because it's always constantly like the top love. You're his favorite. You know, like I can dish that out to everyone, but you know who I can't give it to? Myself. Myself. It's like constantly my whole life. I don't know. When I was a child, I guess I was born to be like a moral philosopher because every little thing that I did was like a sin that might condemn me to hell that needed to be thought over and and wondered about until I could sort it all out. So like, okay, so I'll give you a few examples. Not real happy to share these examples, but nonetheless, they're examples. Picking your nose, not really a moral conundrum, right? Some might think so, but like... (laughs) For me, for all of us, not really. I remember like I would have these moments where just anything could be turned into something much bigger. I remember sitting on the couch one day like, oh, man, you know what? I pick my nose sometimes and then I don't know where the boogers go. And uh, people could walk on them, which means I kind of make people walk on my boogers, (laughs) which is super gross. And. Maybe, maybe God's not happy with that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, at least mom's probably not happy with that. Oh man, do you need to tell mom? No, don't tell mom. You should, you should confess. Confession is good. God wants you to confess. Yeah, but is that sin? Who cares, man? You, you feel it right now. It's bubbling up. You need to, you need to tell someone. My ears would start turning purple, probably like they are right now. Cause it's hot in here. Is it hot in here? No. Dang it. All right. So I was going to turn it off, but apparently I won't. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so moral conundrum, what I do. Until finally, like, I'm just burning up so much that I go to my mom. Well, sometimes I pick my nose. I don't know what happens after that and where it goes and all that. And so what do I do? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's like, Jamin, stop. What, what are you even, why are you talking about? I don't know. So, like, that's one example. Another example, when I was a kid, I don't do this anymore. But, like, if I had a weird taste in my mouth, I might just spit it out in my shirt. You know, like that. You all do it. It's cool. Um, anyways, <laughs> I remember I was in like church when suddenly I was like, I should probably tell mom again. Like, oh man, that's, I don't know. Maybe that's a moral thing. It's gross at least. I should tell her. No. Why is that? Why is that a moral? I don't know, but it is right. I don't, I don't until finally I was like, well, sometimes, you know, like <laughs> just overwhelmed. It's a moral issue. What, what's kind of lying behind that is this idea that maybe God will judge me for every little thing and, and maybe hell's ahead of me and all these things. Even though he's the God of love, maybe he has justice or judgment for me over anything unconfessed and all this stuff. You know, this kind of religious spirit inside of me. One time where this was like a really like super intense situation. Here's me being really vulnerable. I remember I was hanging out with my best friend 
And this was like the first time that I had seen a friend out, someone outside my family, like in their underwear. And like in that moment, I just like suddenly I was like, I don't know, do I have feelings right now for my best friend? If so, am, you know, do, do, am I gay? What do I do with this? How do I sort through this? And, and, and it starts bubbling up inside me. I, I got I to gotta tell someone, right? Like, you know, this is beyond these other things. Until eventually, <laughs> the only person around was his mom. <laughs> and this is the 90s, people. So I go up to his mom's like, I need to tell you something. <laughs> what? What is it? I don't know if I like your son. <laughs> How do I find the words to have this conversation? And she's like, shut up. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I said it. It's out. I'm done. Uh, but like, these were moments for me. And, and like, I am straight. I know that. But like, that moment for me was like this moment of what do I do with this? And if this is the case, what does God think about me? And the good case is, I, I know there's some of you in this room who deal with that. And God loves you just as much as he loves me, just as much as he loves anybody in this room. Your sexual orientation does not change that whatsoever. It's true, we're a free Methodist church. We do believe that sex is only for marriage and that marriage is between a man and a woman. But because you don't feel attracted to someone of the opposite sex does not mean that God loves you any less. We might have uh, ideas for you to live out your faith and your feelings appropriately, but God loves you just as much as he loves anyone else. He wants to get down on his knees to wipe the tears from your eyes. He cares about you. He loves you so much. And, you know, in that moment, I felt that tension that I had before about does God, does God love me despite my sin. But in that moment, I felt what some of you feel every day, trying to follow God and have to deal with this tension of romantic love. And I understand nowhere near close to the difficulty you do, but I felt your pain for a moment. So eventually I was able to turn this off. I was like, you know what? I'm not having great answers come when I confess these things to people. Maybe I am just being crazy and maybe I should stop. So I toned that down a little bit. And eventually I get to this point where it, it manifests in another way. Where when I'm trying to go to sleep at night, I can't. I'm just up forever thinking about every single thing that I've ever done wrong. And I'll confess it to God. Like, God, I'm so sorry for this. Okay, do you forgive me? Or let's give a good hour saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, like just up all night saying I'm sorry and repenting for the same old sins time and time again. And new sins that while they're new might be connected to the same old habits. Whatever the case may be, I'm losing sleep over all of this. And I would go and apologize to people, which was the right thing to do. I owed a lot of people some apologies and some reconciliation. So I would do that. But even that would go over the top. There were some people where like two years later after the apology, I'd write them again and be like, hey, I just want to apologize again. You know, I still feel pretty guilty. And they'll be like, shut up. You already apologized. Stop bringing it up. I don't want to remember it. Okay. I'll be back in two years. You know, like, just like constantly feeling this weight of, I just want to have a clean conscience. I, I want God to love me, and I, I want other people to forgive me, and, and so on and so forth. Eventually, I overcame uh, that late-night depression. The way that I think God had me beat it was to watch cartoons all night. <laughs> so I would fall asleep watching cartoons. I'd fall asleep with laughter rather than 
entertaining all of these thoughts of, Jamin, you're a horrible person. That actually helped me to the point that I don't even need that anymore. I just like cartoons and fall asleep to it anyways. But um, that moment helped me calm down. So I'm like, okay, maybe Jamin's not a psycho anymore. Maybe I can just let all this accusing myself constantly go. And I'm good for some time. Until I get to college and I get engaged to this girl. And when that relationship imploded, one, it imploded for many reasons. But one of the ones that was put on me was Jamin wasn't honest. <laughs> now, Jamin over here was too honest, right? But the way that I processed this moment, which they were right to some extent. I wasn't as honest as I should have been. And uh, in this moment, I was like, okay, so if that wasn't honest enough... <laughs> What's the next level of honesty? Enter Jody. I meet her, and I want her to be cool with Jamin, the horrible person, from the get-go. So I'm just going to tell her everything. <laughs> everything. Here's everything I did wrong. Okay, cool. Fine, we're on a good page. Also, here's the current things I'm doing wrong right now while I'm talking to you. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Like, I think I remember one time... It was early. She's telling stories already, I can tell. Yeah, there was this one time. Like, I remember one time, I was like, Jody, I feel really bad about this, but yesterday you were kind of mean, and in my head I called you a bad word. You know? <laughs> I had to confess that. You need to know. And don't you dare ask me if you look fat in that dress, because I don't think so. But what is fat and what is skinny? And I, you might think, but I don't think you are, but you might. I don't. I know you are not. I see the way you're looking at me. You know, like, I'm just over-processing. You ever watch the show The Good Place? I'm cheating, all right? I'm the guy who over-questions every last moment to try to figure out the moral conundrum behind it. And what is the moral conundrum behind it? It's I know God loves me and I know God loves everyone else and that he wants to wipe away the tears from their eye. And technically, I know he wants to wipe away my tears, but mostly everybody else's. Because I've got all these moral conundrums and he can't handle it. I know that's wrong for you. (laughs) But I can't sometimes preach to myself the same loving God that I can preach to others because my mind can struggle with it. I read through the Bible uh, audiobook from beginning to end a few years back, and that meant that I had to listen to all the prophets for like two weeks straight, just telling me like, here's all the bad things you're doing, stop it, or judgment. And like, some people would read through the prophets and be like, yeah, judgment on the world for all those things. I read through it, I'm like, I can think of times where I did those things, and God's going to bring judgment on me. You know, like, not being able to rest securely in his love, Because I find myself shoving it aside. It's for everyone else, but not for me. I know that you guys do this too. So receive it from one to another. Anyways, finally I was able to kind of shut off my mind from all this accusation stuff. Because that's what I realized it was. Satan, uh, another word for Satan is like literally the accuser. That's what he does. He accuses. Day and nights, accusations going up against humanity. This is why they're bad. This is why they're evil. Look at the Satan in the story of Job. Satan comes up to God. He's like, look, I know Job's like, you know, following you. But like, even he would turn against you if you just took all the things away from him. I bet he'd curse your name if you just stopped taking such good care of him. 
Satan's always looking for accusations saying, you're the worst, you're the worst. Did you see how you're the worst? Did you see how you messed up again? Did you see how this and that and this and that? And eventually you have to get to this point to say, what is my conception of God going to be? The God who loves me and gets down on his knees to wipe away the tears from our eyes or the God that Satan wants to picture? Does God really love you right now? Aren't you actually guilty for these things? Think about it. Process it. What do you think? Yeah, I realized just how deep I was in about a year, two, two years ago, almost two years come February. When we were trying to figure out where God was leading us into this dinner church model, we had these people come to this church and pray for us. And they prayed, we feel like God's going to do something in seven weeks. I've shared that seven, seven months. I've shared that story before. That was partially how we got into dinner church, launching it seven months later. But one of the other things they said, I could not understand why it broke me so hard. There was this woman who really all of them were just kind of impressed by. We, we were still a much smaller church and all these things, but they were just impressed by our hearts for our community. And this woman at one point while she was praying just said, well done, good and faithful servants. And that crushed me. Guy had to hold back tears because I wanted to just fall over. This idea that God would look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. In that moment, it's like, did I not believe that he would say that to me? Am I just so constantly trying to paint this picture of God who's out to get me that, that I would hear the words that he tells me in the scriptures he's going to say to me because I'm following him despite any flaws I might have. <coughs> that when someone else tells them to me on behalf of God, I'm just like, he would say that to me? And maybe some of you need to hear that tonight. You're following God. Well done, good and faithful servants. You're following God. Allow Him to get on His knees and wipe away the tears from your eyes. Because this is why we're going through Revelation. Because people have a twisted idea of how Revelation actually looks. And this is the God behind it. Who right in the middle of everything falling apart gets on His knees and says, well done gets on his knees, wipes away the tears, provides all the food, all the drink that you need, throws a party, throws a celebration that you would be good enough to be given in marriage as a church to his son. That, that right now, though you feel morally things are off, you feel like you're falling into sin, you feel all these things, that God would come with the message of revelation and say, you know what? One day, even that will be gone where you won't even want to sin anymore. Not because he'll take over the way that you think, but because the new resurrection life that you'll be given will be so much like Jesus that you'll finally be made into this perfect, even morally perfect kind of person that you've always longed to be. Where every last thing that goes through your mind, you're not scrutinizing it to death. But you are able to look at the God who loves you and allow him to wipe the tears from your eyes. This is the God, not just of the Bible. This is the God of the scariest book in the Bible, Revelation. And you have to have that in your mind if you want to read it right. Because once you have that, 
it's actually not as scary as you think. And the message is actually much different than you think. The band's going to come up and lead us into worship. And I just want to invite you during this time to give yourself over to the love of God. To rather than, well, does he really love me? Well, does he hold me guilty for this? To say, I, I ask for forgiveness. I repent. The Bible says you throw my sin as far as the east is from the west. Which, at least with flat earth, never meets again. <laughs> In the way that they thought. God does away with all of your sin when you repent and you give it to him. And sure, confession and all these things are good. But if you allow it to get religious like I do, if you allow it to become accusations against God's love so that Satan can twist what he actually looks like, then I suggest the picture of God in your mind is off kelter and you need to correct it. So as the band leads us in music tonight, uh, give yourself over to God and the love he has for you. There will be a prayer team in the back corner. If you need prayer for anything, it might be about love, uh, God's love for you, correcting that image that you have of him. It might be something else, but whatever the case may be, they would love to pray for you. And uh, yeah, we're going to take some time for that. Take on whatever posture you like as we worship, but if you can, would you please start by standing with us? Thank you.